Welcome to On the Journey Conversations. I'm your host, Sandy Wisdom Martin. Today's episode is brought to you by the Christian Women's Leadership Center of Woman's Missionary Union, where God's mission is our passion. Today, we welcome Mary Valerio. Mary is a special friend of mine, and I'm not going to do the introductions because I want you to hear the story of her life. I want you to hear it straight from Mary. Mary, tell us your earliest childhood memories. Well, we, we lived in a little town where I was born uh, in East Texas, Camp Ruby, Texas. I'm the third daughter of four girls. Being the third daughter, I wanted to be different. My oldest sister had to help out in the kitchen, and when my mother got sick, she took over the kitchen. My other sister, she had to sweep, make up beds, which we only had two. Mom and Dad had one bed, and all the, us girls slept in the other bed. We lived in a two-room house. In Canberra, we had no lights. We had no electricity, and we had no running water. Actually, we had an outhouse. <laughs> well, anyway, I remember walking up and down the railroad track. My daddy worked for the W.T. Carter Lumber Company, taking care of the railroad track, passed right in front of our house. I loved to watch the trains go by. We would go like, up at our hands up and down to get the engineer to blow his whistle. And he'd, he would do it because he was getting close to the road. Well, let me ask you this. The trains wasn't the only thing the tracks brought. What was your first introduction to Christianity? Well, about 12 miles down that railroad track, you would get to the Indian Reservation, which was the only reservation in, in Texas. It was the Alabama Cachata. It was two tribes that merged and established a reservation there in East Texas. Those women would come up that railroad track and men to come to the commissary, the little store. And they, um, this elderly man would always stop at our house and sit on the swing and my mother would offer him coffee. One day, up that railroad track came three Indian women and they stopped at our house and they told my mother that they wanted to have a vacation Bible school. Many of the people in the lumbering town, Camp Ruby, were being moved to the sawmill town. So there were a lot of empty houses. And when my dad found out they wanted to have a Bible school in one of those empty houses, he quickly built a bench so the women would have something to sit on, and us children would sit on the floor. That was the first time I ever heard about God and that God loved us. They taught us the Bible verse, God is love. The main song we sung when we met together, which would be like joint worship service in Vacation Bible School was uh, the church in the wildwood. And my teacher would sing, come, 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 all through the chorus. And I was sitting on one side, my friend on the other side, and I'd just look up at her. And uh, I finally learned the song, and I would sing with her in the chorus, come, come, come. <laughs> and then they taught us a little song, a chorus, oh, say, but I'm glad, oh, say, but I'm glad. It was another little song that taught us that we wanted Jesus in our hearts. 
Well, we didn't really understand all we learned that week, but we continued playing vacation Bible school the rest of the summer. We always drove my mother crazy. Those three Indian women never knew whatever happened to us. And I always think when I get to heaven, after I see Jesus, I'm gonna look for those three women. Wow. So you're a Hispanic family with four girls and three Native American women hop in their car and come do vacation Bible school. No, how did they get to you? They had to walk six miles from the reservation to our house and six miles back. That's 12 miles a day for five days. Now they did not come with flags. They didn't come with Kool-Aid or cookies. They only brought their Bible. And they told us all during that vacation Bible school to get our parents to buy us a Bible. Well, we thought, oh yes, I don't know if they sell any Bibles at the commissary. And we forgot all about it. But two weeks after that vacation Bible school, a man came trying to sell us a Bible, but my daddy didn't want to buy the Bible because it was in English. And my sister that's just older than I tugged at his sleeve and she said, but daddy, you bought a subscription to a magazine and she even remembered the name of the magazine, Farm and Ranch. And so he said, and you paid for it with chicken and eggs. And the man that was selling the Bibles, he said, well, I'll take that. And that's how we got a Bible. And it's so amazing. We're at Mary's kitchen table and in between us is that family Bible her father traded for chicken and for eggs. Tell us about that family Bible. Well, it became something that <laughs> when, when a storm would come, we'd grab the Bible and just wherever we opened it, my sister would read it to all of us. And we didn't know what it really meant or what it was saying, but we knew it was God's word and we felt comfort. When I went off to college, I was told that I would have to take Old Testament and New Testament. I didn't have a Bible. So Daddy gave me permission to take the family Bible. I nearly wore it out. Actually, my sister had to, to re uh, put a new cover on it. That's a pretty big Bible. And I've seen your wedding pictures. You were a pretty small girl. And you were toting that big Bible across campus. Yes. <laughs> You're in Camp Ruby. And your family moves. Tell us about that. Well, they had warned us to be ready to move any time, any Friday, they would take a family and move them to the sawmill town. Well, we were almost packed. We didn't have that much. We were dirt poor. And I remember that we were told that Friday that we would be moving. And this was the Friday just before school was to start. We had a lot of chickens. So quickly, we started gathering all the chickens and everything, and the big truck came and we loaded it. It was a truck where they load lumber. So all our belongings and my dad and us four girls were in the back, and mom, of course, was in the cab. When we got to Camden, the sawmill town, we thought we had moved to the big city because there were lights. And that Sunday morning, I remember hearing a church bell and of course, Monday was school was starting. And as my little sister and I walked to school, we passed right in front of that church. See, we had never been in a church other than when we were 
christened in the Catholic Church, but we didn't think anything about it. But as soon as I got to school and the bell rang and we sat down, the little girl behind me tapped me on the shoulders, invited me to church. My little sister was also invited to church. And so when we were walking home, I quickly said, oh, I've been invited to come to this church. She said, well, me too. Well, when our sisters got off the bus from coming home from school, they also had been invited to church. So we talked to mom and dad and we said, can we go to church? We've been invited. Daddy said, as long as you do your chores. Well, my chores were to feed the chickens, have water, have wood, because we had a wooden stove and a wooden heater. Well, I beat the roosters up that Sunday morning. I was out there feeding the chickens before they were able to crow. <laughs> and I remember I got all my chores done, got dressed, and as soon as we heard that bell, church bell ring, we ran down the hill, ran to that church. But we didn't realize that they rang the bell at 8.45 to warn people to get ready to come. We were there a whole hour and we're debating with my older sister. She kept saying, we gotta go home. Of course, my dad had taught us, you respect your elders and you obey them. Hesitantly, we didn't wanna leave. And just as we were leaving, following her, going up the trail, the Sunday school superintendent drove in and he motioned for us to come back. We went running. And I will never forget going to that church and, and going to the Sunday school classes I had the family Bible, and I got a Sunday school quarterly. We went back that night, and I got a, another magazine. And then Wednesday night, we were told there was prayer meeting. Well, I go with the quarterly from Sunday school, the book they gave me at night, and the family Bible. I was going to be prepared. And my friend that had tapped me on the shoulder, she said, why did you bring all that? I said, I don't know. I just wanted to be ready. <laughs> <laughs> And Wednesday nights, you also, instead of prayer meeting, you started going to an organization for girls called Girls Auxiliary. They had made an announcement, and it was on Thursday after school. It was the WMU director was making the announcement, and she said the house was on the route right coming back from school, and they said you could become a queen. And I told my sisters, I said, I'm going to go. I want to be a queen. <laughs> well, I found out that to be a queen, you had to do all these steps, which they call forward steps. And of course, the first one was to become a maiden, and it was learning scriptures, memorizing scriptures. And of course, I'm so grateful because those scriptures were all about the plan of salvation. And those scriptures that I memorized were instrumental in me coming to know Christ as my Savior. Yeah. Praise God for that. They also, on those Thursday afternoons, gave you an opportunity to learn more scripture to go to camp. How did that come oh, about? Oh, yes. They said, if you want to go to GA camp, if you'll memorize all these scriptures, it was a whole page, they said, the person will get a scholarship. I mean, they didn't have to tell me twice. I wanted to go to camp. And I knew my parents couldn't afford to send me. So I memorized all those scriptures. So I won the scholarship and I got to go to camp and loved it because I loved hearing the missionary stories. 
and uh, just being in the Bible study with the camp pastor. It was the missionaries that I was just like a puppy right at their heels. I wanted to hear everything because NGAs, I was becoming aware of people around the world that did not know about Christ. Uh And my dad's family lived in Mexico, so I was concerned about them, but I was also concerned about the Africans, the Japanese, the Chinese. I just began to get a heart for missions. And when you came back from camp, I remember you saying you were walking up to the steps of your house, and how did God speak to your heart? With my luggage in my hand, as I walked up those steps, God made me aware that missions begins at home. My parents were not Christians. Neither was my little sister. My two older sisters had accepted Christ in a revival. And I thought, well, my little sister's going to GAs and she's learning those memory verses. And it wasn't hard to talk to her and she accepted Christ. But it took us 15 years of praying for my mother and dad. We never gave up because we knew that someday, because we saw my dad start reading. We bought him a Spanish Bible since he couldn't read the English one. He taught himself English and Spanish, having no school even in Mexico. We bought a Spanish Bible and he began to read it. It was through the reading of God's word that he came to know Christ. He was here in Houston at Memorial Hospital downtown. The nurse that he had was Hispanic, but he didn't know because she was so fair. And he never heard her speak Spanish until one day. And then when he heard, he said, oh, so you speak Spanish. And she began to talk to him in Spanish and she started telling him about Christ and asking him what he knew. Well, because he'd been reading the word, She led him to Christ, and she actually became a missionary, a home missionary to the San Blas Islands. How about that? And your father, he kind of got on fire for the Lord, didn't he? Oh, every time he'd go to work, he'd stick the Baptist standard in his back pocket. He would always converse with his co-workers of things that he had discovered in the Bible. And then He heard about River Ministry after I went off to college, and he got to go on several mission trips with a doctor as his interpreter. My little sister would take care of mother for a week so my dad could go on those mission trips. How about that? That's amazing how God works in the family, isn't it? So tell me, Mary, how does a child in a poor Hispanic family get to go to college? I knew the requirements for a missionary. They had to have an education. And I knew my parents couldn't afford an education. And I knew that so many things from studying in GAs about the missionaries. I just prayed and I said, okay, God, if you want me to go as a missionary, you're gonna have to provide the education. You're gonna have to help me with all these hurdles. I am so grateful for that WMU director in that church. She became my Sunday school teacher, and she was also on the Associational Leadership Council, and she went to her council and told those women that I wanted to go to college. She had visions of me going to Baylor because her son had graduated from Baylor. Well, I had never been to Baylor or any other college, but one Sunday night at church, my dad heard this 
representative from the uh, East Texas Baptist College in Marshall say, if anyone wants to come to our college, I will gladly give them a work scholarship. And when my dad heard that, he made the decision. That's where I was going. <laughs> it was because Miss McCurley got the Association of Women to give me a $50 scholarship so I could register at college. And then you also got another scholarship. Well, it was two years later that Texas WMU established the Latin American scholarship. And I was one of the first recipients. I remember when I was working as a summer missionary or invincible, which is doing summer missions at home, five weeks in Dallas, and then was sent to Corpus. When I went to Corpus, well, that church wanted me to stay. And then the pastor's wife said, and before you leave, I want to take you to Pottery Island. She worked at the association. She said, can you come and help me do some work at the association? And then we'll go to Pottery Island. Well, while I was at the associational office, typing up some things, the director of missions from the state had come to talk to the director of missions. He said, is that one of your summer missionaries? The director of missions said, yes. He, he said, well, could I talk to her? I want to tell her about this Latin American scholarship. He gave me the application. I wrote my older sister, and she was already married. Her husband had received a scholarship from the Lutheran, he was Lutheran, but if he did not continue working for the Lutheran churches, he would have to pay back. And so my sister was discouraging me not to, to fill that application, but I didn't listen to her. I went at it. I talked, told my mom and dad I was going to send it in because I knew I needed help. And so I got invited to come to Dallas for the interview. I was granted the scholarship. But then the director of registration called me in his office and he said, do you know how blessed you are? He said, you have not only received this scholarship, but they are giving it to you in retrospect. If that wasn't a blessing, Sandy, I don't know what was. Let's go back. Tell us how you got to college. We never had a car. We never had transportation. So my mom and dad paid for us to go to Marshall. I'd never been there. And they dropped me off on my birthday. Well, mother had made me some tuna fish sandwiches. And there was nowhere to get a dinner. So I remember this girl down the hall. She looked out and she said, do you know where we could get some dinner? I said, no, but I have tuna sandwiches if you want to share. So we became real close friends. So at the college campus, that's where you met Mike. You guys met and married and started a church. I had always said I wanted to marry a man that had my dad's character and Mike had it. It was in registration line that we met, but I was so focused just on my education that I said, no, I didn't want to date. Little did I realize that God really didn't have plans for me to go overseas or to make even Mexico. I ended up marrying a preacher and coming to Houston, which was the biggest mission field. Mike was a ministerial student. He, he actually dropped out of school to join the service. He was in the Navy. And then when he was in reserves, just lacking just months to get out of the service, he got called to the Korean conflict. So when he was in Korea, he visited a Korean church and he said, 
He didn't understand a word, but he felt the spirit and it renewed the feeling that he had at youth camp when he felt God calling him to the ministry. And so Mike gone to the association to find out what he needed to do to become a, a pastor or preacher. We did a lot of work in the neighborhoods. Yeah. We took a, Mike took a survey. One of the things that people wanted was a clinic nearby so they didn't have to go on the bus all the way into town to get the inoculations. They wanted kindergarten because the school district charged them and they did not have the money. And because I had studied elementary ed, I could start school. But I had a friend found out I had elementary ed and that wanted me to start and she kept telling me, she said, look, I'll help you, whatever. I said, okay, you can do this. If you will teach the sunbeams, which are now mission friends. She said, oh, but I don't know. I said, no, I'm gonna be your helper. I knew that we needed mission friends. She became one of the best leaders. She made missions come alive for those children. Uh-huh. Whatever was in the magazine, she went over and above that. Like if it, we were studying Japan, they had to come in without shoes. If we were studying Hawaii, we had chunks of pineapple. Uh-huh. She yeah. made it so interesting. Later yeah. on became a WMU director when she moved from Houston. <laughs> so Mike was a bivocational pastor this whole time, planted his life in that community. He began to train men to become deacons and even mentored them into the ministry and would encourage them out of our little church, over seven ministers. And lots of people applied for the same scholarship that you received. And from that little congregation, there are social workers, nurses, teachers all over the world. Yes, I remember uh, Mike was teaching the uh, intermediates in Vacation Bible School, and he comes to me and says, Cookie sure would be a candidate for college. I said, we need to get the Mary Hill Davis to give her a scholarship. And so we began to pray. Cookie didn't want to go to college. She wanted to go to work. But one day, the neighbor's house burned, and the little boy was deaf. And she was so concerned, and she asked her dad, how will those children get to know about God? And he said, well, people go to school and learn about how to work with special children. So that's when she decided she would go to college. So we helped her and four other girls get the Mary Hill Davis Scholarship. Wow. What's one of the biggest miracles you saw over those 50 years? To see some of them now that were in my GAs become so mission-minded. I'm thinking of a young girl that came with her neighbors to GAs. And Paula still is very active in doing missions she has worked at our mission centers. Her heart is also in, in helping the elderly. If someone needs to go to the doctor, she's quick to help them go. If they need groceries, she's quick to take them either shopping or go do the shopping for them. Well, Mary, I'd think about three Native American women who walked 12 miles round trip to pour their lives into four Hispanic children. And 80 years later, eight decades later, I look at the legacy that you and Mike have left with Paula, 
with Cookie, with seven ministers, and so many others. What an incredible blessing of people pouring into you and you taking those gifts that they gave you and multiplying them around the world. I am so grateful for you. Mary, you're 85 years old. You've led a beautiful life. What advice would you give? Uh, stay in God's word and just pray for all the needs and the blessings. Right after Mike passed away, my son was concerned. He said, Mom, I'm, God's not through with you. I said, I know, I'm praying. Surely he has a ministry. So my ministry is praying. Every day of the week, I have certain days I pray for certain things. And I have over 35 widows on my prayer list. Now, some of them have already gone to heaven, but it doesn't take long to refill those places. Yeah. And I love praying for people. It just gives me a joy. I also have a ladies' Bible study. Some of the women, young women that grew up in the church and some that are still going to the Catholic Church, but they love to come study the Bible. And I have a couple of shut-ins that I either go to their houses and have Bible study and prayer or do it over the phone. I've gotten the opportunity to peek into your prayer room and consider <laughs> it, it quite a privilege to be able to do that. Mary, I'm just so proud of you. I'm proud of the way that you have allowed God to use you your entire life. I'm proud of the lives that you've touched. I'm proud of the way that you serve. I'm proud of the way that you encourage others. So thank you for allowing God to take a little girl from the sawmill town and to use her, to mold her and to use her to bless others. Well, to God be the glory because it's all because of Him. Amen. Well, for those of you listening, hope you've had as much joy as I have taking a peek into Mary's life. She is a wonderful example of what God can do with a life surrendered to Him. I've enjoyed being with you. We'll see you next time on On the Journey Conversations. <music>